bloody bloody ready with the cherry. Blessy blessy Ritzy. What <laughs> up, though, ladies and gentlemen? This is Rich here with Jarrell. This is the Mental Matters Podcast, and we are excited to talk about all things for Black men, jerk chicken, mm-hmm. and Black adulthood because it's ghettos. These streets is ghettos, but we are navigating the best we can. Um, mm-hmm. We have a very very exciting interview for you guys. Um, our friend of the show and now author Kevin Dedner has joined us to talk about his upcoming, well, his now released book. I take that back. His now released book, um, and that is for the people at home: "The Joy of Disinherited: The Essays on Trauma, Oppression, and Black Mental Health." It is available wherever books um, can be found, and you will be able to purchase. Um, just by going to our description box and go get you a copy. It is highly recommended, and I'm so proud of this, brother. And uh, with that being said, mm-hmm. we're going to get into this interview. You ready? Cool. Bet. Yeah. Your mental matters. Mental matters. Your mental matters. Mental matters. Your mental matters. Mental matters. Your mental matters. Mental matters, yo. Your mental matters ain't a simple pattern We need to have a central chatter Food for thought, grab a platter My mental ain't for rental I'm essential, man, it's simple I'm a ripple in the rip, though I don't wanna sick my ship, so Gotta know your mental Black life is hard, I don't resent, though Feelings really real, we should present those Talk about it, you should know Your mental matters Your mental matters Mental matters, yeah What up, Of the dose We are here for another episode of this lovely podcast called Mental Matters. Uh, shout out to all of our listeners thus far. I don't even know what number episode we at, but I'm happy to have you guys here with us. I have Jarrell here. I'm your host, Richard. And I have a very, very special guest slash brother and friend of the show. Uh, he is no stranger to the Mental Matters community, but... Um, he has been booked, busy, black, and blessed. So we are happy to have him. He is the founder and CEO of formerly known as Henry Health, now known as Hurdle Health. And he's also, also a first-time published author, ladies and gentlemen. First time published. This does not mean this is his only book. This means this is his first of many of the books that he is going to bless the world with. So I am excited to bring back to the show my brother and fraternity brother, Mr. Kevin Dadner. How are you, brother? Man, I'm good. Thank you. Uh, thank you for, you know, that very, very flattering introduction. What did you call it? Uh, busy, blessed, and black? Booked, busy, black, and blessed. Oh, man, I love that. I got, I got to... Um, I got to I got to take note of that and use that elsewhere. But thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, it's so good to be here back with you all. Yes, sir. You, you look good. You're smiling, your skin clean, your, your house clean, your background clean. You're obviously doing good. You know, you don't look like what you may have been through. You just telling us. So none of us, none of us should ever look like what we've been through. And, uh, you know, the secret is, listen, eight hours of sleep does a body real good plenty of water <laughs> and and eating real food <laughs> real food 
<laughs> Not that leftover McDonald's that was sitting on your nightstand three years ago. <laughs> it probably still look exactly like it did three years ago, but and it's probably not on the menu no more because everybody downsizing. Anyway, um, <laughs> before we get into any of that, uh, first thing we're going to get into is our self care things. Um, basically, what you've been up to as far as self care the last seven days, and we'll start with you, Gav. So, what's what has been one self-care thing that you have practiced and or exercised for yourself the past seven days? Well, um, you know, listen, I, I teased about it earlier, but, you know, I've, I've been so busy that I found the best thing for me to do is to go to bed at night. Mm. Like, I really need to be... Um, discipline and get in the bed um, so that I can function properly the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and yeah, so that's what I've been, been really stringent about. Let me get to bed early. Mm. Facts. What's funny is that I think, you know, I don't know what it is, you know, pandemic or not. These weekends have been really busy. And I strive, my perfect goal every weekend is to plan to not have plans. Some people don't ain't hear that. Sometimes you have to plan to not have plans. And any weekend or any day over the course of a weekend that I successfully execute planning to not have plans and not come up with any plans let me tell you (laughs) it is a very good time there is warm blankets it is tv it is you know i i just stay so i'm not going to complain about being busy but i am going to complain about not resting when i need to like you said so whenever you can plan to do nothing and do nothing successfully I don't even want to leave the house to get food. It got to it gotta be delivered to me or I'm going to just sleep my hunger off, I'll be honest with you. Um, so, yes, shout out to you getting those eight hours because Lord knows it is hard to get those eight hours to sleep in solidly. So, Jarrell, what you been doing for self-care? What you, what you been doing? Uh... I've been making an honest effort to uh, do the chores around the house to like take the pressure off of my wife just to do my fair share. So I think over the last, maybe over the last 10 days, if any cooking happened in the house, it was because of me. I'll say like, I cooked probably like four out of like the five meals that happened here. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, just keeping the living room clean. When I say clean, it's not like, you know, crazy or anything like that. It's like, okay, if we use a throw pillow or throw blanket, put it back where it's supposed to go. Um, You know, clearing out our place after we eat. Usually I just leave stuff on the table. So, you know, picking up our cups, um, vacuuming like every two or three days. That's something different. Usually it's like once a week. So, you know, I've just been trying to make her know that I appreciate everything she's done by doing everything that she usually does. (laughs) Respect. Shout out to y'all. I, <laughs> I try to stay in the good graces with my wife too. Leave me no chore. <laughs> um, that mm-hmm. it works some days, but 
Mm-hmm. I think I think she's cooking right now and I smell it and it smells amazing. So um we are here to handle the business that it's had. And one of the first orders of business, you may remember um Kevin from one of our last one of our previous episodes, we talked about uh still driving John Henry, basically discussing the five stresses of black men. Um, you can go listen to all the episodes of the Mental Matters podcast to find that content. Um, however, we are here not only to celebrate our Black men, talk about all things jerk chicken, all things Black men adulthood, um, and most importantly, just doing those, those check-ins. Most importantly, we are here to celebrate our brother because he has been writing, he has been getting published, and he has been distributing his, his works across the country, if you will. This book I believe is on Amazon. I think I've seen Barnes and Nobles. I think I even seen Target. If I'm even lying, let me know. But everywhere books are sold. Any and every place that books are sold. I am waiting to get into that book, especially if you got the <laughs> audio book popping. I know I've been, I've been I'm recording you right now. <laughs> See I have been ragging this man about this audio book because <laughs> The way I drive so much, it would be nice to just hear it in the Honda Pilot as I'm traveling to and from work. So, um, you know, so first and foremost, uh, we want to talk about this awesome publication that you have put together called The Joy of the Disinherited, Essays on Trauma, Oppression, and Black Mental Health. And so I attended the virtual book launch it was awesome i heard from some great people uh, we were talking the artwork of the book you was talking about a i think it was a curated playlist um yeah. inspired by the book with you and your son so i want to get into all of that but first and foremost just give us a little little peep of why now why this book for the culture why this book for the masses right now yeah well you know you when you you reminded me, you started out talking about um, you know the very first conversation we had and the story of John Henry, and and you remember when when we had that conversation a couple of years ago, you know our company at that time was focused on um, serving super serving black men, um, and we you know we always had this vision of serving other populations, but. I felt it very important to start with black men because as, as you know, black men live shorter and sicker lives than any population. And I wanted to build a solution where black men knew that our solution was considerate of them and the experiences that they were having on a day-to-day basis. And much of that, that sort of wanting to do that was also born out of my personal experience as a black man of having suffered from depression, you know, having trouble finding a therapist, sitting in therapy session, telling my truth and feeling unheard, unbelieved. Um, These are the reasons that we started the company. And, you know, the book is really, I think, um, a, a way to further tell the story of why the company is needed 
um, it further cements the, the mission of the company. But more importantly, for Black men and for Black people, and for people who, you know, sort of, we, we use the term the disinherited in the book, it is a, a, a way, I think, to demystify therapy and, and to help normalize talking about mental health issues and to normalize the therapeutic process. And so the book, you know, first I wrote the book candidly for myself. Um, I wanted to write a book, you know, this is a, just a funny, about six years ago, I bought the domain whatskillingblackmen.com. In fact, I think I need to make sure that I'm pointing that domain to, uh, I'll, I'll make sure tonight that that domain is pointing to my book website now. But I bought that domain thinking that that was the title of the book that I was going to write. And when I bought that domain, this is a true story. When I bought that domain, I wanted to write this very scholarly academic book that I was sort of making this argument about the health of black men. And um, I couldn't get a, a rhythm. I couldn't get it together. And it was only last year, like midsummer, and I started to journal about my life as a way to manage my mental health. And, and, and I realized, oh, goodness, this is the book. This is the book. This is the book I was supposed to write. Now, what had happened in the world at that point? We were in the middle of a global pandemic. We had all witnessed collectively the murder of George Floyd and experienced that trauma together and the aftermath of it. And so in many ways, I think the book for me is is really just this capstone to how I've been talking about mental health. You know this, I was talking about mental health before it was sexy to talk about. You all were talking about mental health before it was sexy about to talk about. And, you know, I, I just wanna, I wanna commend you all. Like, you know, you were forerunners, you got out there. It wasn't popular to talk about these issues. It wasn't popular to admit that you had mental health issues or that you had struggled with depression and you all got out there and, you know, I consider us like the, 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 the true ones here, <laughs> you know, like we like we, we're, we're the ones who, who really we started this work for all the right reasons. I believe our hearts in the right place. And I believe we're going to make a big difference because of that. Respect. Just thank you for that quick kudos. Um, you know, just people like you just being surrounded by people like you who are who is completely passionate about the work, who cares about us. It's, it's really hard to find people that care about us as Black men, as fellow Black men, just to exist right. in today's society mm -hmm. and, you know, amongst the George Floyds of the world and amongst even the Breonna Taylors of the world. You know, we got to protect ourselves. We got to protect our, our women too. And so to be able to check in with one another after such traumatic events, um, to hold space for people. I was actually recently asked um, by a friend of a friend, if you will, who I met. Um, he has a business, a Black-owned business. And the guy reached out to me. You know, he heard about our podcast. You know, he talked about it. He said he listened to it, which is cool. Um, I don't, I try. <laughs> it's funny because I try to remain humble and knowing that we created such a great platform. And people say, oh, I listened. It was great. It's all right, cool. What you want to hear next? You know, so I have to kind of get away from that part of it. But the thing that really surprised me and shocked me was 
he was like, you know, I just need to talk to somebody about the things that I've been going through, about my stressors, about depression, my depressions, you know, my recent divorce, things of that nature. And at the time I didn't have the capacity, like I was transitioning between jobs, I was exhausted, but I was just like, hey, I texted him back. I was like, hey, you know what? I didn't text him back probably to the next day, to be honest with you. But I really, literally remember responding like the next day or so and said, hey, listen, sorry about the lack of the delay in response. However, even though I don't have capacity right at this very moment, I will hold and create a space for us to have that conversation. Um, it don't have to be a deep thing. It have to be a, you know, whatever platform thing. It can literally just be talking and talking about your things. And, you know, just as Black men in general, what I think that you, Kevin, has helped introduce is the fact of, you know, just Black men being vulnerable. We don't talk enough about that, but most importantly, it's more so about like, even though I may be going through something, you may be going through something, et cetera, how do you create that space um, and carve out that space for somebody who just, you know, may need their story? Because like you mentioned before, you beg the question, what's killing black men? I personally think it's holding on to their things and not addressing them. So like, is that kind of something that you help unpack you know, when it comes to the, to your books, or your novel that you just released? Well, yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, listen, man, I, I think what you sort of just talked about how people reach out to you, um, you know, it reminds me before the pandemic when I would go to places and I would talk about having been depressed, there always be this brother standing at the end of the stage I knew exactly what he was going to tell me, but he didn't know that I knew exactly what he was going to tell me. And most of the time, what he was going to tell me is I was depressed too, you know? And, um, yep. and I think, you know, what, what we've learned is that vulnerability is an invitation for others to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and, and that there's power in vulnerability. I believe that our collective healing is 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 tied in into vulnerability and so i i just want to acknowledge you know you sort of being on the front lines where people feel um the trust and confidence in you to come and say hey you know i got this going on in life um you know listen in in my book um i talk about my trauma my pain. Um, I even talk about historical trauma that Black folk have experienced collectively. And I think we've long held this belief that we could experience painful things in life and, you know, put those experiences in a closet and, you know, go on about life as if they never happened. And what we understand now about trauma and pain is that that's just not how it works. So, uh, you know, I talk a lot about the death of my father who died when I was 10 years old. And, and you know, it took, you know, um, me turning 
you know, nearly 40 years old where I sort of finally resolved and reconciled his death. Um, and, and I talk about that process in my book. Um, I talk about the pain and the vivid memories of his death. And really what I'm, I hope to do in doing that is, is to help people. If you read the book and, and you just kind of flow through it, and you don't have to be like, wait a minute, let me just put this down for a second. Really, that what I hope the book does is that it forces, in particular, brothers to be like, wait a minute, let me put this down. And, and it invites them to like start to look inward and start to have their own reflection about their own pain, their own trauma. And so, yeah, I think that the book is, is full of, you know, um, unfortunately, it's full of stories of oppression stories of pain, stories of like even my 15-year-old my son losing his boyhood by being accused of stealing something at the local bodega. Um, you know, these things are real. And what I wanted to try to do is to put some narrative to, you know, how we live and, you know, the experiences we've had. And, and I'm going to tell you the other thing too. This isn't just my story, right? I think when, when people read this book, they're going to see their family. They're going to see themselves in these stories. I believe it is a universal Black experience. You know, I am very, very much so looking forward to hearing it. And I say hearing it because... <laughs> I got you. I'm, you're going to make me... You're going to make me get into the studio and record just for you. <laughs> That's it. I'm selfish, dang it. I know I am. Um, just as a Black man that is still processing, you know, the loss of my father. Um, and I mean this in probably the most happiest moment I've ever been. Um, there are moments where I'm sitting to myself like, dang, I wish I could share this moment experience or even conversation with my dad because and that was one of the things that, you know, in my mid-teens and unfortunately in my early 20s when he passed what I was looking forward to is just like growing into adulthood becoming a man and then sharing those experiences with my dad um so I'll be very very curious to see how that was unpacked um I'm not even gonna ask for the page number I'm gonna just find it myself um so with that I want to talk about the um basically this curated playlist so kind of give us some insights about how you thought about hey let me curate like the music and our playlist what if you will and uh what's your favorite item on that playlist yeah well yeah let me just say um the book is a is a a, a easy read it's only 190 pages long. Um, and so what I wanted to do is like create some assets to support the book. So if people visit the, the book website, the joyfortheditsinherited.com or kevindebner.com, it all gets you to the same place. Um, you'll find not only this curated playlist, you're going to find 
we even have, I don't know if you know this, that there's a Joy for the Disinherited podcast, a limited series podcast. Did you know that? I was going to get into that part, but yeah. since you mentioned it, <laughs> uh, we will definitely make sure that all of the things are covered in the description notes. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, this is a podcast, so let's let's plug and talk about the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Talk about the podcast. And, and, and then there's a discussion guide, but I, you know, the playlist was actually something, you know, listen, I said the other day in an interview, you know, my kids are laboring with me in this work. And, and I find, you know, little bitty assignments to give them. And, you know, my son's <laughs> job on this book was to help me, you know, put together this playlist and, you know, pull out the songs. We were, we carefully selected the songs, went back and forth, debated you know, whether or not they fit the mood of the book. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, the songs for me, I'll be honest, they, you know, I'm a, I'm a kid of the 80s, so you're going to find a lot of 80s music there. You're going to find a lot of gospel, mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of uh, jazz, Nina Simone, Sarah Jordan Powell, Aretha Franklin, all of this music that just really is the, I mean, it's, you know, the it's, it's just, I think it defines you know, like how I got through some of the most difficult periods of life. And, you know, these, like these messages that are, that come through those songs are what supported me in those difficult days. And so I think what I wanted to do is to really um, give people like these tools to, to have this exploration themselves. Like, that's really it. Like, like do this work yourself. When you do the work, I'm telling you, you know, the possibilities of things that are going to open up um, are going to be limitless. You know, I had a, a friend, I, I'll just tell you this, this side story. She, um, she herself is a writer. And she said to me, why did you write so much about your father? And I said, well, because it hurt so bad. <laughs> like, like, that's the, right. like that's, that's the reason I, I wrote so much about my father. And and she went on to tell me this story about how her father had abandoned her mother and her and her siblings and and that, you know, that, you know, she she, she never even thought much of it and she didn't care when he died. But the, mm. the irony of it was that she knew exactly when he died and um, she remembered the exact date. And I and I challenged her. I said, maybe you do care. Maybe that's why we're having this conversation. And, uh, and, you know, she called me back in a few days later and she said, you know, you were right. I thought it, I didn't care, but you know, the, your book helped me realize that I really did care. Mm. And that's the type of internal reflection that we want people to do, because if you locked away pain, you've locked away hurt, you've locked away disappointment. Um, it, it drags you down. It keeps you, it robs you. It robs you of your joy. It robs you of moving forward in life. That's why the book is called The Joy of the Disinherited. Mm. There is so much that we can unpack. However, um, before we get into those things, we are going to take a quick break. And I mean quick because I know between me and Jarrell, we got some other questions that we want to ask yourself. So for those listening, stay tuned. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, back to Mental Matters. And with that being said, I got some, I got some questions. I need some help. And <laughs> I know Jarrell got questions, but I got some questions. 
And some of it's definitely related to the book um, because I think it's going to be awesome. Um, again, I'm going to keep pressing because I'm ready for the audio book. But most importantly, um, I want to talk a little bit about, you mentioned your company, Hurdle Health. And um, I have some other quick fire questions I'm sure Jarrell has been um, pondering to ask. So let's talk about the cover of the book. Um, I was at the virtual book launch. I know there was a significant backstory about why you chose the cover of the book that you chose. So give us a little bit of insight into why this, how this cover came to life. Yeah, well, one of my favorite local artists is an artist here in Washington, D.C. by the name of Timothea Murphy. And um, I actually have um, a couple pieces of his in my house. And one of the pieces that I have, I actually love it. It's a piece of um, that has Trayvon Martin and um, Michael Brown in it. And it's just a beautiful piece. And mm. um um, I'll have to send you an image of it. And and so I'm, I'm just in love with him artistically on like how he expresses what's happening in the world. And so when I thought about the cover of the book, you know, there's this old saying that you can't judge a book by its cover. And mm. and, 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 and I did not mm. want that to be the case uh, for my book. In fact, when I when you look at the cover, I wanted you to know what it was about. And I wanted to send messages, invoke emotion, and so forth. And so, you know, Timotea, um, he really delivered. Um, the book cover is this, this beautiful piece of art that has my ancestors, my family, you know, my father on it, like all types of symbolism from broken chains to, you know, a thread that goes all around the book to a flag that sort of symbolizes that there's a race and really there's a lot of joy and pain and hurt um in the in the in the picture and when you look closely you see you know these pictures of people these are literally my family members in fact i mm. last night i posted uh the the cover of the book on uh, facebook and tagged folks um, on their picture and if those mm -hmm. folks were going on to be with the Lord I tagged their kids right so mm -hmm. um, it's it's really meant to to communicate you know this journey of that we we all go on in life of of pain of you know some hurts and trauma but ultimately you know we have always as a people found a way to find joy and mm -hmm. uh, that's what I think the cover represents it's, it's a beautiful cover the symbolism, you know, from the doves, the broken chain, like I just can't underscore the messages that it sends to us collectively. No doubt. So this is the living embodiment of what it means. When you get on, you put your whole family on. And he literally, folks, he literally took his family and put them on the cover of the book. That is the epitome of just black excellence right there. That's beautiful. I love it. Well, Thank you know, man, listen, my, the way that I wrote my book, um, I tell stories about my family, but I tell it, I tell those stories from my perspective, which means 
I have a right individually to tell that story. Like I didn't tell stories from other people's perspective, which I think when mm-hmm. sometimes people write books, that's where they sort of have this, they get in this sort of tension with their family. You know, I told the story from my perspective, my perspective as a 10 year old boy who lost his father, what it meant, what was going on in my, my mind, what was going on in my psyche as I was processing this pain, this trauma. And, you know, my family obviously has to be some kind of supportive in that. Like we're, we're all along for this journey. But as I said earlier to you, my family is like the universal Black family. When you read the stories about my grandmother, Ella May, when you read the stories about my uncle, Glenn, you read about my, my mother, you are going to see your family members in that story. When you, when you read the story about um, me making a decision that I wanted to, to, to have a, a life of dignity and not a life of crime, Right. You, you, those stories are going to resonate with you. Cause I think this is the course that all of us as black men, like we, at some point we make this decision about the type of people we want to be. And, and I think that the book, you know, I haven't seen a book that assigns the narrative to our story. And also in, like with the reference section that we have in the book, we haven't talked about the reference section spells out what's happening clinically, which mm. is really important. Mm. so it's not only the story piece but what's happening clinically at each of those moments absolutely absolutely that that's the that's you know let me just tell you something most people are reading the book but for the student the clinical student are the so 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 see i can't say the word the social worker the sociologist they need to pay attention to the the notes section because i'm Mm -hmm. unpacking what's happening clinically, and also what's happening historically. There are going to be historical references to, this, um, to, to, to what's happening in the narrative as well. I'm geek. You just, so many layers. If you're not paying attention, you need to, okay? Um, that's dope. Again, I am really excited, not only about reading the book, but I'm excited because of who you are and what you're doing with this. Um, I have never, again... My, my span of actually reading books is very, very low lately. But um, I have never seen or heard of a book in which it tells a story in the midst of it, but also gives you some references to what's going on in terms of like, like the help from a historical standpoint, as well as clinically, you know, that to me is a new twist on book writing. So um, I can't wait for the next ones to come out where you do something similar. Or if you just change the game, but you know, I'm selfish. <laughs> Let's get into we talked about the book in its entirety. It is available anywhere books are sold, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure you tap in, do what you gotta do, get your copies. I think it's hard copy and paperback, correct? Yes, sir. And can and by the way, the hardback is beautiful. I, I strongly there is a price difference. But yeah. I strongly recommend that people get that hardback because it's a beautiful book. You know, we, we talked about the cover. So the, the hardback is, is literally like a piece of art that you can sit on the coffee table. So that means y'all got to get two. One for y'all to read <laughs> at your leisure <laughs> and one to put in y'all office on that one shelf next to y'all 
Obama pictures and all that, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure that you get her done because everybody got an Obama picture. That's right. You, you see, you see, you see my Obama picture sitting behind Listen, me, right? Listen, <laughs> well, it's not in this room. However, since we just got our house within this last year, it will be hung. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, with that being said, um, let's talk a little bit about hurdle health. And so, when we first met, it wasn't called hurdle health. You have jumped a hurdle in terms of this journey you've been on. So. If you can just give the people, if you will, a little bit of insight of what Hurdle Health is all about. And I mean, why the name change? You're confusing people. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for, um, you know, just asking me point blank. And, you know, um, I, I thought it was really important that we start with, with Black men. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a decision that, that I regret. And even more importantly, I, I want you to know, your listeners to know that serving Black men and serving Black people is rooted in our company's DNA. Um, you know, if, if you want to really understand a company, you should always look at how was the company founded mm. and um, what was the thesis of the company, because those are things that are kind of like embedded in the company's DNA. And so, you know, when, when we started the company, of course, that we had not experienced the global pandemic. We had not experienced the death of George Floyd. And, you know, the thing that makes Hurdle different is that we train our therapists in an evidence-based technique that helps them improve their cultural humility and cultural responsiveness. Our clients persist um, in therapy two to three times the national average, which is remarkable because 50% of African-Americans terminate therapy prematurely because of the pro- provider fit, which is the experience, similar experience I was having in trying to find a therapist. So, you know, all of these things have happened and it really has highlighted like how our mental health care system was not designed for everyone. And that this need for cultural humanity cultural responsive and cultural humility in therapy is, is not only an idea that is, was desperately needed for, for Black men, but for Black people and for Brown people and for other populations. And so, you know, for our company to really have, you know, the opportunity to become a national company, we essentially retooled and rebrand, rebranded the company but, you know, the thing I would just say to you and to your listeners that, you know, our, our, our mission, you know, our North Star, our DNA, like, you know, it's unshakable. It's unquestionable about who we are and, and what we're trying to accomplish. You know, we're, we're, we, we still use language around about Black people and other minorities um, because the thing is, when people know that you're building a company that, um, values culture, um, they know that you're going to also respect their culture. And I think that that's the thing that separates our company in the market right now. And, and I'm so excited, you know, about what we're doing. We started, I think you remember this in DC, Maryland, and Virginia. Since we've talked, we've raised um, some capital since then. That capital has now allowed us to move into the state of Texas 
We're moving into Massachusetts this year. We're also moving into California. Next year, we'll be in another, um, probably right at a dozen states. So, you know, this is, you know, the, the way that these companies work is it's really about the ability to, to serve, you know, people in multiple states and at scale. And, you know, that's, that's what I've been busy doing is building the infrastructure for a national company, um, a company that, you know, can serve people in whatever state that they live in. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I was waiting to hear, uh, I would say Michigan, but I think Detroit is its own state at this point. So I was waiting for you to say Detroit. <laughs> but anyway. Well, we, we're, we're on our way there. I mean, that's, that's the goal. We got a 50 state strategy. We want to be present in every state. Um, that's, that's the goal. And, you know, I'm, I'm so excited about what we're building. I'm so excited about our team, like an amazing, diverse team. I mean, super talented super committed, um, you know, to really transform in mental health care. No doubt. Well, I'm excited to see it. I can't wait for that. We are going to take one more break and then we're going to hit you with some questions that I don't think you're ready for. But with that being said, (laughs) we'll be right back. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back for the last of the last. It's always great having a good friend of the show, Kevin, here. Um, but now I got some questions that we just need to know, okay? Because we already asked you a while ago, why does your mental matter to you? We already know that, but most importantly, we want to know some things. It's the wild card, ladies and gentlemen. We are not putting a time limit on this. It is until I get done and turn blue in the face. So are you ready, Kevin? (laughs) I'm ready. I'm ready. Bring it on. Jarell, are you ready? Because I know you got some questions. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna start and Jarrell will just come with the next jab and the next jab until we turn blue in the face. So with that being said, um the first question is dun, 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 dun. hip-hop or R and B. Man, that's tough. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna go hip-hop today. All right, that's cool. That's cool. If you had to choose your favorite hip-hop artist right now. It don't have to be who just came out recently. If you had to choose who's your favorite hip-hop artist right now in your headphones or on your iPhone, wherever, who would it be? Who you listening to? And I've been listening. I, I guess you would consider Kanye a um, hip-hop artist these days, right? But I, I really love his new album. And I know he's found himself as a bit controversial, but I honestly believe that he has reinvented gospel music. And as a, as a person of faith, I am um, like, I I really appreciate this new album. I know a lot of people don't like it, but um, as a person of faith, I think he reinvented, you know, there's, you did you, you know, Miles Davis uh, famously said that he reinvented music five, six, seven times. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I think that Kanye has reinvented gospel music. I'm going to take your word for that. And I'm actually going to give it its due diligence stream because I am at a point in my life where I'm not canceling Kanye at the same time, but I have not been the same Kanye fan since uh, graduation. So well, he, he's a complex figure. Now we're not debating the complexity of, of, of 
of him as an individual, but in terms of him being an artist, I think he's a brilliant artist. We will talk after this is done. <laughs> However, because you said that and I respect you, I'm going to give it another sh- once through and see what I can find. Because, Jarrell, go ahead. What is your favorite place that you visited? Um, you know, the, where I am most at home is when I visit my family's homesteads. Um, my mother's from a little small rural town called Tucker, Arkansas. My father, um, you know, his homestead is around um, a place called Locksburg, uh, Arkansas, Gravel Hill. And when I'm when I'm in when I'm there, I love to be there because I feel like I can commune with the ancestors. Like I feel like I'm I'm somewhere on the earth that I'm supposed to be. And so, you listen, I've been everywhere. I've been I was in Boston last week. Um, I've been every major city uh, in the country, you know, and even even abroad. But what I love is being in in my country homesteads. I think it's because of the food, but I ain't going to say that. <laughs> that too, right? <laughs> there you go. See, I caught the game. Okay. So if you could wear, and I am only going to choose this category on purpose. If you could wear three pairs of your favorite gym shoes, that is brand and style. What would those be for the rest of your life? Man, first of all, we we, we got a big problem because I don't own any gym shoes. Ah. <laughs> that makes this better because now you have to choose. Ah, uh, uh, man, I um, I mean, you know, my, my kids are really big on somebody told me the other day that they wanted some Air Force Ones. Oh, I, and I remember like, and I was thinking to myself, like, I remember wearing Air Force Ones. Are, are kids wearing Air Force Ones now? Some of them are. It's so funny how, you know, stuff is in style and then it comes right back in style. Like my, my, my yeah. daughter, by the way, uh, we, the other day, she, 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 was, she had on a flannel shirt. I'm like, are flannel yeah. shirts back in style now too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It usually goes with, a certain pair of gym shoes. And I'm not going to let you rock no Air Force Ones. So I'll give you <laughs> one more chance. If you had to pick at least one pair of gym shoes to wear for the rest of your life, Kevin, what would it be? I don't know. You're not going to give a brother some help here, man. Listen, it could be a certain style of Jordans. It can be, you know, if you if you were Adidas shell toe person, that's fine too. If you had to pick a pair, Kevin, I mean, you know, I never, I never really got into wearing Jordans. I mean, I think when I, like the, the phase of my life that I was really into tennis shoes, mm-hmm. so you all were probably too young to know this, but I was wearing Bo Jackson's. I remember they were kind of popular. You know, Bo Jackson's. I know Bo Jackson. Cross trainers. You, <laughs> Cross yeah. Trainers. They, I, I really, I really enjoy those. I, I, I wore Chucks, you know, 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and then we called them, we called them gangster Nikes. What do, what do people call them now? You remember, did, did y'all call I think you're talking about the Cortez's, I think. If yeah, they call them Cortez too, Cortez, yes. right? Yeah, but we call them gangster Nikes. You know, we was like, you want some gangster Nikes, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and by the way, in my book, I talk about this, this phase of my life where I, I wore gangster Nikes and they, they were a definitive thing, you know, and, and, and to, to our daily life. You know, you, you, you made a lot of friends and enemies based on what shoes you wore, by the way. Would you say that's your favorite pair of gym shoes you ever purchased then? Mm, man, I, I think I remember them Bo Jacksons being so fun. Yeah, I, I don't know why they, they seemed like they was so... Okay. <laughs> <Fair enough>. <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> yeah. Who would you say is the most influential person in your life? You know what? I There was a time that I wouldn't answer the question this way. But now after writing my book, I'm gonna tell you it is my grandmother, Ella May. My grandmother, Ella May is 104 years old. She lives in a little small town called Tucker, Arkansas. And in writing my book, I was able to reflect on conversations and um, you know lessons that she gave me growing up. And, and I tell you what, she is the matriarch of our family. But, um, you know, when I, I, when I sort of think about all of the hands I've shook, all of the, the places I've been, there's no one who measures up to her, no one who measures up to her integrity, her kindness, her loyalty, you know, her love for her family, no one measures up. Mm. That's respect. Mm. We're going to hit you with maybe two or three more. So your favorite show that you have watched since we have jumped into this panini bread that's outside right now also known as the pandemic man i last night i watched the new episode of insecure oh man everybody was talking about it on social media and 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 i was like okay let me just way in here and see what's what's happening why is everybody upset with Issa and you know I was like okay and, and then you, you know I went to a, a PWI I went to the University of Arkansas and so they were you know sort of not to be a spoiler they were sort of visiting like their their institution Stanford and it you know obviously they were black Stanford's a PWI too so it was like oh there's a lot of a lot of sort of you know things that I could relate to in that. But yeah, Insecure was the last show I watched just last night. Fair. We're going to throw this on the uh, exclusive content. Anyway, uh, (laughs) I have not watched it yet. However, I plan on it probably tonight or tomorrow. Uh, I'm sorry, Jarrell, go ahead. Uh, If you had to choose one drink in the morning, would you choose coffee or tea? Oh, man, I'm going to need this coffee now. I'm going to be honest with you. That coffee <laughs> sends send some signals. Uh, if, if, I don't, if I don't drink that coffee, I'm subject to, 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 to leave the house without putting my pants on. I, that's how important oh. it is. <laughs> it's that important oh, no. to send signals Very mentally critical. to the brain. It, 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 it's like coffee sends messages to my body saying, okay, it's time for us to, to do this, you know? So it's, it's super important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's facts. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this question is something that I found to be very interesting. Um, you have to choose between two scenarios. You have to choose one of them. 
you either have to choose to revisit and end a grudge with a friend or family member or bring a person a loved one who was passed on back to life for one year which one would you choose and who would that person be so the first option is to end a grudge right yeah somebody you may have been interacting with you have a huge grudge with you can choose to end that grudge with that person and rebuild that relationship or you can choose to bring back one loved one family member friend don't even matter from the dead for one year yeah well the thing is you know i'm answering your questions very practically um, i know and, and, and i can't and, stand it yeah and and, <laughs> and so so let me just say this there there in the preface of my book I talk about wishing for loved lost ones to return. So mm. I, I, none of us would say that we don't want people to return. But, you know, let me tell you something. I, I made a commitment um, a while ago that I was not going to hold grudges um, against anyone that, you know, and even in my friendships, my relationships, the relationships that I have now, you know, we have a commitment to one another. And, and that commitment is around, you know, how we deal with disagreement in our relationships. And I think, you know, you, you reach a point in life where you realize, okay, we're grown now. We're not kids anymore. And, and we, we can make decisions in this way. And so I, I don't want, you know, any grudges. There's some folk I don't care to be around, but I'm not holding anything against them. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, um, you know, we, we were taught in, when we were kids, when we would take communion, that uh, we, we shouldn't take that communion that we were holding any, any malice in our heart toward anyone, right? And, yes, and, and, and I, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And, and as I've gotten older, I, I really take that to heart. I don't want to, and, and I just want to be at peace, um, peace with people. Mm. So... Is that your final answer? <laughs> that is uh, that is my final answer. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, go get the book <laughs> and make sure that you read it thoroughly and thoroughly. There will be a quiz of your feelings after you read the book. The Joy of the Disinherited Essays on Trauma, Oppression, and Black Mental Health available wherever books are sold. Kevin, my brother, I can say on many different ways and forms how much I love you and appreciate you for being a part of our community um, to be a part of this, what we've built up over the last, I don't know, three years now. Yeah, sure. Yep. Um, <laughs> and um, we cannot wait to see what's next, man. Yeah, I just, I just want to say that I'm so grateful for the work that you all are doing. Um, it means the, the world to me that you you all have sort of been out there on the front lines before this stuff was popular to talk about. You figured out how to produce a podcast before, you know, folk were running behind you saying, we'll underwrite you. We want you to do this. We want you to be a part of this. You know, you got, you got in there and you did the work, man. And so I hope that you all will, you know, take 
a moment and, you know, really appreciate what you've built, that you built this community where you're normalizing Black men and Black folk, talking about mental health. And, and that's incredibly important, man. So kudos to you. Um, I've been tracking the work that y'all have been doing. Um, you know, it, 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 it's sort of like, um, I'm, I'm, what do they call it when people like spy on people on, in, on the internet or on social media? I'm stalking y'all. I'm stalking y'all, <laughs> tracking y'all, and I'm so I'm so proud of the work that you 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 all are doing, man. Yes, sir. We appreciate that, man. That's that for a living legend to be talking about. They look at us. That means the <laughs> right. world of worlds. So we appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, with that being said, um, we gonna get into one more little break situation, and we are gonna wrap this thing up. So that's that. Yeah. yeah, your mental matters, mental matters, your mental matters. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Shout out to our guest, Kevin Jarrell. That was great, wasn't it, man? It was a lot of fun. Learned a lot. Got a little bit emotional on some parts of it. But all in all, it was well needed. I'm mad because this man said he don't wear gym shoes like that. And it really made me sad. But <laughs> it is all good. Make sure you check out the book by Kevin Dedner called The Joy of the Disinherited on all essays on trauma, oppression, and Black mental health is available wherever you get your books. And as far as us, you can catch us in the internets, on the interwebs. Check us out on social media at Mental Matters Podcast. Um, That's Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, And the website, mentalmatterspod.com. And wherever you get your podcast, we will try. We will try to be there. And if we ain't there when you get there, let us know. <laughs> uh, with that being said, we are signing off for this lovely thing, and uh, we will get to y'all next time. All right. Bad. Yeah. Your mental matters. Mental matters. Your mental matters. Mental matters. Your mental matters. Mental matters. Your mental matters, mental matters, yo Your mental matters ain't a simple pattern We need to have a central chatter Food for thought, grab a platter My mental ain't for rental I'm essential, man, it's simple I'm a ripple in the rip, though I don't wanna sick my ship, so Gotta know your mental Black life is hard, I don't resent, though Feelings really real, we should present those Talk about it, you should know Your mental matters Your mental matters Mental matters, yeah